I'd like us to open with a well-known Bible text. If you happen to have your Bibles, you can look at Deuteronomy chapter 6. I'm going to put the verses on the screen so we can look at it together. Many of you could recite it. Thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children. And thou shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house and when thou walkest by the way and when thou liest down and when thou risest up. Who is this verse addressed to? Me. It says you, right? Um, and who is the you in, this, uh, in the context of this? Who was Moses talking to? All of Israel. And who is Israel today? We are. Look at verse 7 again. What are we commanded to do? Teach. Teach, not only teach, but teach diligently. And what are we to teach diligently? Them. And what is the them? Um, And God's word. The verses give us our instruction. God's word must be taught. It is not something that simply comes naturally to us by living. Our children don't pick it up by living. They have to be taught it. And they not only have to be taught it, they have to be taught it diligently, deliberately, systematically, uh, constantly. And the command to Christians has never been more important than today. Um, I was studying with a teen patient, and I asked that patient, did Moses live before or after Jesus? I was trying to find some question that the teen could answer. You know, a teacher tries to have questions that you can answer. And this teen was not sure whether Moses lived before or after Jesus. We live in pagan America, ladies and gentlemen. No longer is there much knowledge or influence of the Bible in our society. There's never been a time in this country when Sabbath school and child evangelism was more important than today. It's important because the children of our generation face temptations more than any other generation has faced. Computers and internet give every kind of distraction from Bible study and they provide constant entertainment. There's an increasing realization of computer addiction. Our children today know Facebook, but many of them don't know the book. Sin has never been so available and inviting. Internet qualities, that is, accessibility, affordability, and anonymity, these make it difficult to resist the temptations of online sin. I say anonymity, it's just apparent anonymity. We're all tracked. It's also important because parents have never been so ignorant of basic principles of success in life. Society is no longer Bible-rooted. Children have little instruction in the use of money, the use of time, health principles, submission to authority, simple courtesy. The list is long. 
An increasing number of children are latchkey children. Both parents are working, or they have a single parent who is working. And if children are not taught the Word of God and they're not taught it diligently, they will not learn it. Few children are getting this at home. They are not being taught this in public schools. And they are certainly not getting taught this when they go to the movies or watch them on Internet. Where are they going to be taught it diligently? Some years ago, Chuck Colson was standing next to Prince Philip while at Buckingham Palace for the Templeton Prize ceremonies. And they were surrounded by dignitaries. Mr. Colson, what can we do about crime here in England, Prince Philip asked. Colson told him, send more young British children to Sunday school. He smiled, thinking Colson was joking. I feel a deep interest in our Sabbath schools throughout the land because I believe them to be instrumentalities of God for the education of our youth in the truths of the Bible. If Ellen White had been standing next to Prince Philip, what might she have said? Send the children to Sabbath school. The Seventh-day Adventist Church has traditionally been a young, young people's church. There has never been a time when Sabbath school was more needed than today. It's needed because the average age of Seventh-day Adventists in North America is increasing. It has now reached 62 years of age, while the average of the United States population is just under 37 years of age. You are probably aware that the average age of Seventh-day Adventist in, in North America in your church is aging. Look around at ASI, and you'll find this is a fact. A generation of children have spiritually grown up in the church and left it. They're no longer active in this church. We've lost a generation. Furthermore, Sabbath school is needed because the average Adventist youth, young person, doesn't attend an Adventist school. It cannot be assumed that an Adventist young person has a grasp of Bible facts and knows the Bible stories. Few can give Bible texts that prove the Sabbath, the state of the dead, or basic Bible doctrines. Our generation, the young generation, is ignorant of biblical principles of dress and adornment. They have not been diligently taught the Word of God. Uh, recently, in a large Adventist church within the ASI group, a, uh, a person was asked to head up the youth Sabbath school. And so she, she went to the youth to see what the needs were. And she was amazed. She had a matching activity. Uh, the junior children were not able to match Noah with the ark. They were not able to ask to match Jonah and the whale. And worse yet, they weren't able to match Jesus and the cross. They're not hearing the Bible stories, and there's gross ignorance. No wonder Ellen White felt a deep interest in our Sabbath schools. 
There's no time for entertainment Sabbath school. This is time for education Sabbath school. There's never been a time when Sabbath school had more potential than today because of the great contrast between righteousness and evil. Sabbath school has great potential because youth is the sowing time. This is when young people establish their tastes. There has never been a uh, more potential than today because the Sabbath school can help the children acquire a taste for wholesome music that will stay with the children for life. It can uh, learn Bible passages. You know, I can memorize today, but the difference between what I memorize today and what I memorized as a child is what? I remember what I learned as a child. And today, I don't remember it. I have to review it and it still slips away from me. But what I memorized in childhood is a permanent collection. The Sabbath school is a place to make lasting friendships. Here we learn to love and appreciate good and choose the good. Homes today are broken. Family ties are confused. And the Sabbath school is a means of the church to restore those family ties. It provides parents and guardians with powerful, life-changing, practical, and interesting family worships. And the Sabbath school is the most aggressively evangelistic portion of the church service. From Sabbath school... Families and children can be grounded in the basic Bible truths and Bible knowledge, and the children in turn can reach their parents who may be ignorant of these. Parents who can be approached in no other way, Gospel Workers says, are frequently reached, how? Through their children. So if you want successful church evangelism for older people, how do we reach our community? We have to structure, focus, and think about how to reach the youth. That was how uh, God won Geneva for the gospel and Protestantism, through a teacher that was so humble the parents didn't fear him and was so effective with the students that the children loved him. And what he taught to the children was taught by the children to their parents. And the Geneva that had spurned the great Calvin and the powerful Pharaoh was won by the lowly um, teacher. Sabbath school teachers can instruct the children in the truth and they will in turn take it into their home circle. But there's a large problem. Few teachers seem to understand the importance of this branch of the work. And what is that text? What does that say? Few teachers seem to do what? Understand the importance of this branch of the work. What you're doing is not small. It's not unimportant. Sometimes people are given the impression in soul-winning seminars that going to door-to-door and knocking on doors and giving Bible studies is the proper and most effective way to reach people in the community and that all must do this work. Now, door-to-door work is important. 
I'm not denying that. Giving Bible studies is important. But this is the most effective door-to-door work. The most productive door-to-door work. The most important Bible study work. Missionary work. Teaching our Sabbath school children how to be home missionaries. And every Sabbath school is to be a college of evangelism. Through Sabbath school, though Sabbath school has never been more important, more needed, or with more potential, we must acknowledge that there has never been a time when there is less interest in Sabbath school. The statistics show a fall nationwide in interest and attendance in Sabbath school. At one time, when I was young, the Sabbath school was up here and church attendance was down here. Today, it's church attendance down here and Sabbath school down here. This is the actual trackage from 1950 to 2010. There's been a slow but now precipitous decline. And if you've been an Adventist um, during these years, you've seen this with your eyes. You don't need the graph here. Chuck Colson's solution to Prince Charles on how to decrease crime by sending the children to Sunday school may have been true generations ago. However, it is not true for modern Sunday schools. Colson may have been well-meaning. He may have even thought that he was witnessing to Prince Charles. But Colson couldn't have been more wrong. In Zanesville, Ohio, there were 17 African lions in the Muskingum County Animal Farm in 2011 when the owner, Terry Thompson, released them and then shot himself with a gun. When the community discovered there were lions on the loose, you know what they did? They shut the school down. Parents didn't send their children because they wanted to protect them from the dangers of lions roaming around. But there's roaring lions on the loose, Satan and his angels. And we must have a focus on protecting our children. I want to share a sobering research finding by creationist Ken Ham from Answers in Genesis. Thousands of young adults in their 20s, a thousand young adults in their 20s were part of this survey. Let me quote Ken Ham. And I'm quoting here, two stunning and disconcerting results came out of this survey. We discovered that we were losing our kids in church in elementary school, middle school, and high school, not just in college. That was the conventional thinking, that you lost them in college. They'd go off, find Christians, and then they'd go to public colleges and we'd lose them. He's he's an evangelical Christian. The large majority are already gone in their hearts and minds before college. Sunday school, he said, is one of the reasons why. Indeed, as our survey revealed, there is a Sunday school syndrome contributing to the epidemic of young people leaving the church. Our survey numbers are statistically significant and are absolutely contrary to what we would have expected. This is a brutal wake-up call for the church showing how our programs of Christian education are failing dismally. I do, however, he said, thank those of you who are committed to Christian education inside and outside of the church. 
I sincerely commend you for giving your time, skills, and best efforts to invest in the future generation. Nevertheless, when compared to those who never went to Sunday school, more Sunday school attendees who no longer go to church believe the church is less relevant and more have become increasingly anti-church over the years. They are more inclined to accept abortion, gay marriage, and other unbiblical activities of our day. Young people see through the hypocrisy of those who claim to believe the Bible, just not as it's written, and when they do, they leave the church and their trust in God's Word behind. He continues, The startling conclusion is that on the whole, the Sunday school programs of today are statistical failures and are even detrimental. I know that's going to hurt many of you who are dedicated to Sunday school programs, he, he added, as well as those of you who are depending on those programs to properly influence your children. But listen, if you are depending on these programs to properly teach and influence your children, it is just not happening. Out of the 1,000 interviews, 606 were former Sunday school students. The church failed these people miserably. As children and teenagers, these 606 were there almost every Sunday. They were present, they heard the lessons, and it had a nominal and even negative effect on their beliefs about Christianity. And he said this, If I were a church leader, I would sit down and pour my heart out to the Lord. I would then find a new Sunday school curriculum that better prepares young people to maintain their faith. Could this be true in Adventist schools and even Sabbath schools? Thayer, in 2008, in the Values Genesis study, was studying 12th grade Adventist students in Adventist schools from the Value Genesis study. He found negative relationships between the number of years of an in an Adventist elementary school and faith maturity, commitment to Jesus, importance of religious faith, and the goal to remain an active Adventist. That is, the longer the child was in the Adventist school, the less their faith maturity, the less their commitment to Christ, the less important their religious faith became, and the less goal to remain an active Adventist. I didn't put this on the board, um, on the last one, but only 66% of students in Adventist academies believed that the investigative judgment began in 1844. Students with more Adventist education were less in agreement with the standards of one should not wear cosmetic jewelry, one should not listen to rock music, and one should not attend movie theaters. An example of the difference is that 31% of those with no Adventist education in grades 1 to 12 strongly agreed that one should not wear cosmetic jewelry compared to 13% of those with only Adventist schooling in grades 1 to 12. In the youth retention study, Dudley found no relationship between attending Adventist schools and church attendance. Now, I don't know if these statistics are right or not. That's what the study said. I hope they're wrong. But something is happening, and it's happening out in the world, and would we expect it to be also in some effects, in some respects, impacting our beloved church? And is something happening among the young people you see? Could it be possible that sometimes even Seventh-day Adventist Sabbath schools 
could harden the youth of the church against truth and against God. Merely having an activity, going through motions, leading a song or two and saying some formal prayer does not an effective Sabbath school make. Jesus went to the Nazareth church. He was there every week. And with him, a community of believers. And these were growing up seeing Jesus every day, exposed to Jesus. And did that make them better or not? Where was the first place in North Israel that Jesus was attempted to be killed? It wasn't in Jerusalem. It was the people who had been going to church every week. And in church, they were learning to reject Jesus. Ellen White said this, even Bible study is too often conducted in the schools, read it with me, is robbing the world of the priceless treasure of the Word of God. Is my Bible study with my children in worship robbing them, making them harder? Is my teaching in Sabbath school hardening my students, or is it softening them for Jesus? Steps to Christ. 110, there is much reading of the Bible that is without profit and in many cases a positive injury. Is there much reading of the Bible? No. But of the little reading that's done, much of it is what? Without profit and in many cases a positive injury. Who's saying this? Me? Much of the reading of the Bible is, doesn't profit and in many cases, hurts us. How can that be? A very important question that I must ask is, is Satan pleased with my Sabbath school? To make the Sabbath school and our youth evangelism truly effective, the first thing is we need prayer, folk. Real, genuine, thoughtful prayer. Desire of age is only the work accomplished with much prayer. Read it with me. And sanctified by the merit of Christ will in the end prove to have been efficient for good. So it doesn't say that we should only pray, but it says that when we do work, our work should be bathed in prayer. That's the only way it's going to be, have any power or effectiveness at all. Review and Herald, June 9, 1891. Important lessons are presented to us in the experience of Elijah. When upon Mount Carmel he offered the prayer for rain, his faith was tested, but he persevered in making known his request unto God. Six times he prayed earnestly, and yet there was no sign that his petition was granted. But with strong faith he urged his plea to the throne of grace. Had he given up in discouragement at the sixth time, his prayer would not have been answered. But he persevered till the answer came. Are we praying six times and missing the blessing of the seventh? We have a God whose ear is not closed to our petitions, and if we prove his word, he will honor our faith. He wants us to have all our interests interwoven with his interests. And then he can safely bless us, for we shall not then take glory to self 
when the blessing is ours, but shall render all praise to God. But that's a good quotation, isn't it? God does not always answer our prayers the first time we call upon him, for should he do this, we might take it for granted that we had a right to all the blessings and favors he bestows upon us. Why doesn't God answer the first time? Well, we'd, we'd misunderstand. Why is it that God can't run a, um, a, shall we say, spiritual welfare system? Because it'd make us lazy. And so, because of our... He'd love to do it. <laughs> it's, not God, it's not because God doesn't want to hear our prayers, is it? It's because he loves us so much, and he's so wise that he can only answer our prayers in a, in a way that's going to benefit us. Instead of searching our hearts to see if any evil was entertained by us, any sin indulged, we would become careless and fail to realize our dependence upon him and our need of his help. So that's why he can't do it. That's, time, that's why we pray the seventh time. Why is it that Elijah had to pray that many times? Because that was Elijah's need. And God, knowing his need, had him pray seven times. Do you have a prayer list? Do you pray for your Sabbath school daily? Do you pray for each leader, each teacher, each child, each family? Do you pray seeking to answer your prayers? So when we pray for God to do things, often we want him to do what we don't want to have to bother doing. But when we pray to God, what we're really saying is, God, I want to be available in any way to be used by you to answer this prayer. And please, um, if you can answer it, and I would be in your way, don't use me. If that's the best way to use me is not to use me, then, then use me the best way to bring an answer to this prayer. Does that make any sense? So when I pray, give me this day, my daily bread, am I praying, Lord, help me to be able to stay in bed while the, while the ravens fly over and put food into my mouth like they do the baby birds. Is that what I'm praying? No. I'm praying that God will use me that I can find the circumstances and have the food, right? We need the Holy Spirit to fall on our Sabbath schools. Does the cradle roll department need the Holy Spirit falling in the Sabbath school? Yes. Yes. John the Baptist had the Holy Spirit when? In his mother's womb. In his mother's womb. Is each department getting together to pray for the departments when they arrive early Sabbath morning before the Sabbath school begins? Do they pray together during the week? We need prayer, much prayer. And then we need thoughtful, thorough preparation. Is our, are our prayers a substitute for our preparation? Is our preparation a substitute for our prayers? 
when we visit other churches, we always take the opportunity to attend children's departments and observe the Sabbath schools. And Lynn was telling us about visiting one Sabbath school class. And in fact, in this church, they used the material that my wife prepares my Bible first. Lynn prepares and Grandma has written. Um, and imagine their surprise and chagrin to see the person completely unprepared, reading it poorly, and the children couldn't be more bored. And we saw that the children in the very in the very method to try to reach them were rejecting. It broke our hearts. Meals require preparation. And if we're going to feed the flock of God, the little lambs, we have to prepare to do that. There's no healthy fast food Bible teaching. It doesn't exist. It demands prayer and it demands study. And it means we must know the Bible intimately. We know it so well that we can easily adapt its points to the children in the group before us. And how is this best accomplished? Education 251, let the Sabbath school lesson be learned not by a hasty glance at the lesson scripture on Sabbath morning, but by careful study for the next week on Sabbath afternoon. Do we need to do that even for the cradle roll? Oh, even more. Because it's more difficult to, it's easy to just keep them active, but how do we teach that age group diligently, which is what we're instructed to do? so that their interest is kept, they're engaged, they're learning, and they're changed by their Sabbath school experience. The Sabbath afternoon study sensitizes us to be looking for illustrations during the week. Now, if I want to teach a lesson, and I teach Sabbath school class, I always try to find out on Sabbath the Sabbath afternoon before, what the lesson is for the next week. And the reason I do that, even though I never really write my Sabbath school class lessons till early Sabbath morning, um, the reason I do it is all through the week, my, my mind is subconsciously thinking about the topic. And so I'm seeing illustrations and patients that come into my office. I'm seeing illustrations and news that I might see. And relating that, and so what God teaches me through the week, then I can bring together in, a, in an interesting, illustrated way, which I would miss if I was waiting till just right at the moment um, to teach the lesson. Now, if that's true of the adults, is that true for all, the children as well? And then it says, with daily review or illustration during the week. So, we, so God wants us to have it illustrated and reviewed through the experiences of life. Then we have an interactive Bible study that's not based on entertainment, but utilizing the very best materials and the very best methods. The class time must be practical and gain the interest and attention of the children and it needs to bring them to a decision and an action every single week.
Now, this afternoon we'll look at some uh, methods and materials, Um, but are there different learning styles? Yeah. Uh, I was discussing with uh, with somebody about uh, the Sabbath, and they told me, "Well, they were Sunday keepers. They learned one way, and I learned another way when I studied the Bible." And uh, I told them, "Yes, it's true." And they were talking about different learning styles, and I said, "Yes, it's true that there are different learning styles if you go to to school." There are different learning styles, and probably you do have a different learning style. You may have a different learning style than I do. But in your math class, they use different methods, but they still arrive at 2 plus 2. They may teach you 2 plus 2 is 4 by different different methods, but it's still 2 plus 2 equals 4. The different methods shouldn't give different answers. They should give different methods to the same answer. And, and so we want to have our teaching filled with freshness, with illustrations and with stories. Um, notice uh, some of the different learning styles. This is Science of the Times, December 20, 1877. The teachings of Jesus unfold modes of reaching the human heart and impressing upon it important lessons of truth. So... If we study the teachings of Jesus, we learn not only what to teach, but we learn what? The different ways to teach the truths to different minds. Jesus used the familiar objects of nature to illustrate, and then notice the next word, and intensify the meaning. So it's illustrated, but it's also like a magnifying glass which takes the rays of the sun and does what? It concentrates them so it burns. When, uh, when the uh, Cleopas and his friend on the road to Emmaus, to Emmaus were listening to Jesus present the scriptures, what did they say? Our hearts burned. So this magnification of illustration from scripture concentrated it and suddenly it lights a fire, intensifying the truth. He drew, what does it say? He drew lessons from everyday life. Why everyday life? Because if it was something that was in everyday life, what is it going to happen? It's going to be taught to the child every day. The occupations of men and their dealing with one another, how they interacted. Um, that was lessons for him. And then speaking of the children, she goes on. It says, study their different tendencies and susceptibilities and reach them through the plainest avenues. Some may be best influenced through veneration and the fear of God. Um, that's some. Is that all? No. Absolutely not. But is that some? Yes. Others through the manifestations of his benevolence and wise providence calling forth their deep gratitude. Now, which kind have we hit yours yet? There's more. Others may be more deeply impressed 
by opening before them the wonders and mysteries of the natural world with all its delicate harmony and beauty which speak to their souls of him who is the creator of the heavens and the earth and all the beautiful things therein. So what are we seeing? There's at least three types right here. But there's more. Children who are gifted with the talent or love of music may may receive impressions. That should say uh, may receive impressions that will be lifelong by the judicious use of those susceptibilities as the medium for religious instruction. Will everybody be hit by music? No. But some will. Do we want to incorporate all of these in our approach to children? Yes. They may be taught that if they are not right with God, they are like a discord in the divine harmony of creation. Like an instrument out of tune, giving forth discordant strains more grievous to God than harsh, inharmonious notes are to their own fine musical ear. Isn't that nice? Many may be reached best through sacred pictures illustrating scenes in the life and mission of Christ. So some um, are not as much reached by words as by pictures. Why did the Old Testament, why did Jesus fill the sanctuary with pictures? Because many would be reached that way. By this means, truths may be, what's the next word? Vividly imprinted on their minds, never to be effaced. Does that mean we need to be very, very careful in the pictures we use? Is there any place for just cartoonish stuff? Not if you're going to reach them like this. Even so, our Savior illustrated his sacred lessons by the imagery found in God's created works. And then, lastly, we reach them by personal work. Do you know what the cheapest fruit is? The cheapest fruit that we can have from God and present to others. Talk. What do we say? Talk is cheap. And the cheapest fruit, is uh, Ellen White says, is what a minister does in the sermon. Cheap fruit. And what we do in the Sabbath school itself is the, it's important, but it's cheap fruit. Because we're telling them to obey, but it's just talk. Anyone who is involved in child evangelism in Sabbath school work is a minister. The least important work of the minister is the preaching. The most important work is the one-on-one. That's it. And we must visit our Sabbath school scholars. Dwight Moody, the famous evangelist, was a boot salesman in his uncle's shoe store in Boston. His Sunday school teacher was Mr. Kimball, and he had his heart set on winning every member of that Sunday school class to the Lord. After praying about the matter, he he arranged to visit Dwight Moody in the store. I was determined, he later recalled, to speak to him about Christ. 
and about his soul. And, and so he started down to Holton's Boot Store. That's where Moody worked. When I was nearly there, I began to wonder whether I ought to go in just then during business hours. I thought my call might embarrass the boy, and, and when I went away, the other clerks would ask him who I was and taunt him with my efforts to try to make him a good boy. In the meantime, I had passed the store, and discovering this, I determined I would make a dash for it and have it over at once. <laughs> I found him in the back part of the building, wrapping up shoes. I went up to him at once, and putting my hand on his shoulders, I made what I felt afterwards was a very weak plea for Christ. <laughs> I don't know just what words I used, nor could Mr. Moody tell. I simply told him of Christ's love for him and the love Christ wanted in return. That was all there was. It seemed the young man was just ready for the light that then broke upon him. And there in the back of that store in Boston, D.L. Moody gave himself and his life to Christ. Forty years afterwards, when preaching in Boston, Mr. Moody himself thus described the effect of his con conversion upon his life. I can almost throw a stone from Tremont Temple to the spot where I found God 40 years ago. I wish I could do something to lead some of you young men to that same Christ, he added. He has been a million times better to me than I've been to him. I remember the morning on which I came out of my room after I had first trusted Christ. I thought the sun shone a good deal brighter than it had ever shone before. I thought that it was just smiling upon me, and as I walked out upon Boston Common and heard the birds singing in the trees, I thought they were all singing a song to me. Do you know I fell in love with the birds? I had never cared for them before. It seemed to me that I was in love with all creation. I had not a bitter feeling against any man, and I was ready to take all men to my heart. If a man has not the love of God shed abroad in his heart, he has not yet been regenerated. The Baptists have one aim. Get the child saved. But because there's the belief that once saved, always saved, there's a problem, and that's why they may neglect careful follow-up. And that brings me to another story, A.G. Daniels. He was the general conference president for longer than any other man, 21 years. And it illustrates the far-reaching influence of personal uh, labor for young children. At the end of Daniel's primary years, he gave his heart to God and was baptized. Shortly after his baptism, he became very discouraged. This is what he writes. There came an awful hour in my experience. There comes to boys such times when I was awfully discouraged. I felt self-condemned for I was not praying. I was not trying very hard. So when it came to bearing testimony in the meeting, as we used to do, I refrained because I felt guilty. But I did say, I'll do better this week, and then I can testify next week with a good conscience, with some feeling of decency. I forgot through the week, and when the next Sabbath came, it looked to me as though I had done worse than ever, and I said, I'll have to give it another trial. And the next week, I got on still worse, and when that Sabbath came, I sank down and said, I was not made to live a Christian life. I, I'm not the type of boy for a Christian I'm going to give up. When the meeting closed, 
I shot out of the place so no one could speak to me. I was going straight home, but there was my mother with whom I must walk home always. I went around the corner of the church and stood there, downcast. The old white-haired elder of the church came around and he said to me, Arthur, I am looking for you. I want to see you. He spoke very kindly. I'm interested in you, Arthur. I've noticed that you have not been speaking in meetings now for three services. I replied, no. He said, I want to know what is the trouble. I would like to help you. I said, I do not think there's any help for me. He asked, why? I replied, I'm not the kind of boy to be a Christian. I cannot do it. I've tried and failed, and I've given up. He said, you will not give it up, will you? Oh, yes, I said, I have. But he urged, you must not. Now, will you not join me in prayer this week that you'll try? I had great confidence in that man's prayers and thought that if he would pray for me, I'd try. And so I looked up to him and said, if you'll pray for me, I will try. The old man put his arms around me and got down close to me and said, I will pray for you every day. You pray, and I know that the Lord will help you. And when I came to meeting next Sabbath, I had a new song in my mouth. God visited me that week, and that old man lifted me from the depths of the darkest place into which I've ever sunk since I started to be a Christian. From that time, I've never reached the place where I said, I'll not try. In all the trials and difficulties and discouragements that have come, I've always said, I will try again. I will stand with my face towards Zion. When your studies are bathed in prayer, when you are prepared, when you adapt your teaching to the various minds and interests and capture them with illustrations, pictures, stories, songs, variety, when you approach them personally and individually, seeking decisions for eternity, with careful follow-up, you cannot fail of having life-changing Sabbath schools in child evangelism. I was in college. And as I was studying the Bible in the spirit of prophecy, I would pray, uh, Lord, what is it that you're trying to tell me to do? And I was reading through the book, Messages to Young People, and I came across this sentence that I'm putting on the board. And it said, the Lord calls for young men and women to gird themselves for, what's the next word? Lifelong, earnest labor in the Sabbath school work. And I said, well, Lord, if you were calling for young people, I was a young person then. (laughs) Um, Methuselah would say I'm still a young person. Um, I said, then uh, if you're calling for young men to gird themselves for lifelong, earnest labor for the Sabbath school work, then, Lord, I will make a sacred vow that I will have lifelong, long as you give me breath, I will be working earnest labor for Sabbath school work. Um, I didn't know that part of the 
sentence that was taken out was also temperance work, which uh, when God called me into medicine, that included that, and that's lifelong too. But this was my commitment at that time. And I was amazed at what the Lord did immediately. I was asked to teach a Sabbath school class. Sabbath school class grew. When we visited, uh, when I became a medical student, and before we went to, to, I mean, before I was in school, I was there uh, just moving to the, to um, uh, Loma Linda. And we just were visiting this church for the very first time, the Hill Church, big church. And uh, I, by accident, sat in the wrong class. I thought it was youth, but it was really uh, um, teens. And there weren't that many there, but, uh, and I didn't want to make the teacher discouraged by leaving, so I participated with the kids. And, um, and when um, we were ready to leave for Sabbath school was over, guess what happened? The teacher said, you know, I'm going to have to, to uh, stop teaching this class because of my schedule. Could you teach? Here I was from nowhere. He didn't know me. But what was God doing? I had made a sacred vow for Sabbath school. I had no idea, no dream that someday it would even lead to my Bible first. But it was back as a young person. God is calling for people to gird themselves for lifelong, earnest labor for the Lord in child evangelism in Sabbath schools, vacation Bible schools, and other ways. The Lord would have teachers in the Sabbath school work who can give wholehearted service, who will increase their talent by exercise and make improvement on what has already been attained. The Lord wants to take your talents and increase them. The Lord would have Um, and that's the uh, end of that, that quote. Anyway, um, I, I, am, I have a, a um, conviction, as you can see on this, and that conviction is shared, I know, by everybody here. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm singing to the choir. Um, many of you have already been giving lifelong service, and I... I hope this encourages you in your in your work. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.